What a great thing to declare the worth of Jesus Christ in his house with his people. It's a privilege to be together uh, this morning. Um, my name is Kondo. I get to serve as one of the pastors, for those of you I do not know. And uh, this morning, I have the privilege of continuing the second week of a series that we are calling But First. Um, make sure you check the spelling on that. But, but First, Being Busy Better. Um, because uh, here's what we know, is that we're just a few days away from the insane chaos called the fall. Um, and things are about to get super, super crazy. Kids are about to go back to school. Homework's about to ramp up. Projects at work about to dial up. Vacation's about to dial down. And, and sleeping in is not going to be a thing anymore. And uh, we're going to find ourselves in sports. We're going to find ourselves in all kinds of extracurricular activities. The wave called the fall is here. And things are about to get super crazy. And we just want to say sweet. That is so awesome. Because as far as we're concerned, busy is beautiful. Busy is just another way of saying life is full. It's just another way of saying our calendars are full. And we love that. We think that is so amazing that we're on the verge of busyness. We're just saying, are you going to be the best kind of busy when the fall craziness hits? Are you going to be the kind of busy that will look back at the end of the season and say, Whoa, that was amazing. We lived life really well. And we want to just process what that means. Because we believe that this is a time to make the decisions about what kind of busy we are going to be. This is a time to make the decisions before the craziness hits about what things we are going to prioritize and make sure make it into the craziness of our schedule. So we hope everyone is super busy. But first, make sure the things that matter most go in First, And we just happen to believe that one of the important things, one of the priorities that ought to make it into the craziness and the busyness of your world this season is belonging and being involved in the church. For those of you here, uh, who were here last week, we started this conversation uh, by talking about the fact that the church is central in the agenda and the affections of Jesus Christ. So much so that he was willing to leave heaven and come to this dark and broken world. And he was willing to spill his blood, to give his own life in order to woo her, in order to win her, to become his bride, the partner at his side, to ride off into eternity ever after with him. And we were just saying, if the church is that central in his agenda and his his affections, the church ought to be central in ours. If the church is a priority in the heart and the mind of Jesus, then the church cannot be peripheral in our worlds. And so we're saying busyness is about to ensue. That's amazing. But first, we want to invite you to make sure that being Belonging, being a part of the church, is a priority. Uh, here at Mission Point, uh, th that means a number of things. In fact, that's what we want to take the, the remaining number of weeks we have to talk about. What does that mean? What does it look like for us to prioritize uh, belonging and being a part of the church? What does that look like? Here at Mission Point, it, it really comes down to four things. Are you using your skills to serve? Are you serving? God has given you unique gifts. With those gifts, he's called you to serve his church. Are you figuring out a place to serve? Uh, it comes down to, to generosity. Number two, are you giving of the resources that he has given to you? Um, in fact, we're going to spend this morning talking about this, this idea of generosity. And you, you came to church, no one made you do it, and you're stuck now. We're going to talk about this. Number three is community. Are you figuring out ways to connect with other people? Because we're going to get to where God has called us to get to if we do that together. 
And so we're going to talk about that in the coming weeks. And number four is outreach. Are you taking the name of Jesus into your unique spheres of influence, sharing and showing who Jesus is? We're not saying you have to be involved in everything. We're not saying you have to do everything. But we believe those four things should be a part of your agenda this busy season. Serving, giving, connecting in community, and sharing his story in outreach. But like I said, this morning we want to focus on the idea of generosity. And uh, I'm one of those strange pastors who is so super stoked to talk about generosity. Because if you've been around the church long enough, then you know there's, there's some taboo subjects. There's some subjects which people just don't like to talk about and try to avoid, and generosity is one of them. Because the minute somebody starts to talk about generosity, there's a group of people who tune you out and say, that's all the church ever talks about. The church only ever talks about giving. Um, and so they'll kind of tune out. But I couldn't be more excited uh, to talk about this, and uh, I honestly believe that if we engage and understand what the Bible teaches about generosity, there should be an uprising in the church that asks the question, how, we, how come we don't talk about this more? Why don't we talk about this more often? And I trust that as we start into this conversation, the Spirit of God will do something that causes us to lean in that direction. Um, in order to have a conversation about generosity, we're going to spend um, our time in uh, what I think is one of the most comprehensive, one of the most compelling passages on the issue of generosity. And it's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. If you have a copy of the Bible, meet me there. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to start reading at verse 6, and we're actually going to read all the way through verse 15 um, in one chunk, and then we'll come back and work our way through it to see what principles we can unravel regarding the issue of generosity. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting at verse 6. If you don't own a copy of the Bible, by the way, we would love to get one into your hands. In fact, your copy, just for you, is waiting at the connection corner right outside those back doors. But otherwise, we're going to have the verses up here on the screen. 2 Corinthians Chapter 9, starting at verse 6. Here's what the Bible says about generosity. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Verse 7. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and, and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Verse 13, because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. And for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else and in their prayers for you. Their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. I love this passage of Scripture, and I pray that even as we spend a little bit of time in it this morning, that the Spirit will do something that will cause you to love this passage of Scripture on generosity. But a number of principles about generosity start to emerge to help us answer the question, how will we prioritize being a part of and belonging to the church by being generous this season? And so Paul teaches us a number of things about generosity. And the first thing that, that emerges from this passage is this idea that the generosity is foundational. 
Generosity is foundational. Um, <laughs> um, man, I was cracking up the other day uh, when my, my son was describing to me um, some of his thoughts about kind of going back to school at the start of this uh, next semester. And I was kind of asking about how he was feeling about looking, you know, looking forward to it or not looking forward to it. And he was trying to explain this and he said, you know, man, I'm, yeah, I'm looking forward to going back to school. You know, I said, that's great. All right, no, I'm not looking forward to going back to school. Said, that's, that's great too, I guess. Um, and then he corrected his correction. Okay, I'm looking forward to going back to school. And then he, he started to try to unravel to get to the bottom of what he was trying to figure out. And he said something to me to the effect of, well, okay, here's the thing. I would love to stay home, but be able to like go to school, like to play with my friends, and, and, and to like play sports. But I don't want to have to do any schoolwork and I don't want to have to do any homework. <laughs> and so as any good father would do, I picked up the phone and called his principal. And I'm like, hey, can you make a special exception for my son to see if you can eliminate all the classwork and, and home? No, I didn't do that. I did just what most of you are doing. I mocked him and then I, I laughed at him. And, and just reminded him of the fact, hey, listen, if you, if you take classwork and homework out, it's no longer school. Call it something else. And I'm telling you that the early church fathers, the early church would peer in on us today and would kind of mock us and laugh a little bit and say, did you know that if you take generosity out of your practice of church involvement, it's no longer really church involvement. It's foundational from the very genesis of the church. One of the pieces that was written into the DNA of the church was generosity, where everything was shared in common, and they would, would bring what they had to ensure that people's needs were supplied and that the, the gospel was going out further. Look at the way Paul um, hints at this, and I think it's more than a hint in verse 7. He says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And yes, I noticed that too. Did you see it? Giving generosity is assumed by Paul. He says each of you. He doesn't say some of you. He doesn't make any exceptions. He says each of you because giving is part of belonging to and being a part of the church. And he says each of you should give whatever you've decided in your heart. So listen, you decide in your heart what you give, but you should give. That's just part of what it means to belong to and to be part of the church. If you take generosity out, it's no longer true biblical church involvement. And I just want to pause real quickly and say thank you um, Mission Point Community Church for being a generous movement of people. I can't tell you one of the reasons I think I get pretty giddy and excited to talk about generosity is because I get to stand as part of a church family that is generous. A movement of people who loved to give, to find excuses, to give, to be generous, to help meet the needs of the hurting and the broken in the world around us. I love every opportunity I get to go to other places so I can brag about this place where I get to live and call home and talk about your generosity. And so I just want to pause and say thank you. Just the other day, I was thinking about this graphic up here, and I was so, so grateful. Because already this year, you all have given about $37,000 more than you had given at this point last year. That's a 12% increase in your generosity, a 12% increase in your giving. Not to mention, last year at about this time, we were asking for an $80,000 bump to help us move into the Performing Arts Center. And you've exceeded even that in your giving. And I just wanted to pause and praise God and say thank you to those of you who are a part of a culture of of generosity here at Mission Point. It is such a privilege to be a part of that. You give. In fact, you look for excuses to give, reasons to give. When there's opportunity to give, you are incredibly 
generous, not reluctantly, not begrudgingly, because as Paul says, God loves a cheerful giver, and that's the kind of generosity that emerges in this place. By the way, the word um, that Paul uses when he says cheerful is the word hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver, and I'm a part of a church of people who are hilariously generous. And I just want to say thank you for that. Generosity is foundational. And for some of you, this is going to be the day when you maybe for the first time decide, I am going to be a part of that gen generous, hilarious generosity. And I'm going to jump in on this whole foundational aspect of belonging to the church. And we are going to start to, to give. Generosity is foundational. But you know, the question is why? And that's what we want to talk about a little bit. Why? Why would this crazy movement of people get giddy and laugh and be generous hilariously. What would make anybody want to give hilariously? That is so entirely countercultural. That is so entirely counterintuitive that anybody would give gladly, let alone hilariously. Why would anybody do that? Why would we say to you, hey, consider what it might look like for you and your family to prioritize generosity? Not just generosity, hilarious generosity. Why would somebody do that? I think Paul gives us a number of reasons. Number one. It's because generosity is missional. Generosity is missional. Generosity helps to multiply the places where the name of Jesus is heard and the name of our God is praised. Generosity helps to multiply the places where the words you are worthy of your name are being raised. Generosity helps to extend the reach of the gospel and multiply the places where the name of God is praised. Look at verse 13. It says, because of the service, and the service being referenced here is generosity, by which you have proved yourself, it says others will praise God because of your generosity. For the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. And for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Others will praise God because of this generosity that accompanies the message of the gospel. Your generosity can go further with the gospel than you ever could, than I ever could. So, so when we give, it not only helps to provide for the needs of the hurting and the broken, but it helps to point the hurting and the broken to praise the God that we preach in the gospel. So listen. When I get up here giddy and I say thank you for being a hilariously generous church, I am giddy because it's not so much the numbers and the percentages, it is the people who get to now praise God or get to experience something of Jesus or hear the message of the gospel because of the generosity that comes out of this house. It's the people. I was just reading a newsletter that was sitting on our, our counter, and it was from uh, some of uh, the churches in Zambia that we've partnered with, some of the churches that we have helped to establish over the years. And um, we've not talked much uh, about this recently, but it was so amazing to be reminded of the difference that's being made on the other side of the world with people you have never met and people you might never meet this side of heaven. But your generosity is getting to them. For example, 
Uh, These churches have experienced being able to worship, to get together to worship year-round because of your generosity. You all helped to put a roof over their structure so that they don't get rained on during the rainy season. Because of your generosity. Because of your generosity, there have been some pastors who've been raised up and trained to go and plant churches in the rural parts of Zambia. Because of your generosity, some of you remember this, we we purchased some bicycles um, so so that some evangelists in rural Zambia could ride into even more rural places to take the message of the gospel where it had never been heard before. What I'm telling you is there are people who never heard the gospel but have now heard the gospel because of your generosity. It's missional. It will go further than you could ever possibly go. Matt was talking a little bit ago about Hither and Yon. And and man, thanks to Lori Victor and her leadership and the generosity of many of you, there are a bunch of kids on the other side of the world in rural Zambia who now get to go to school, get an education they would never otherwise have had apart from the fact that you chose to be generous in a variety of different ways. And obviously people have come and they've bought stuff um, from hither and yon. These are not just concepts. These are not just ideas. These are real people whose lives are being changed in real and meaningful ways. Uh, This is Peter, by the way. Meet Peter. Um, This guy with his funky loafers and Bible in hand got to graduate from high school. Never would have happened apart from some people in Warsaw of all places being generous. This is Constance. Um, with her bedazzled shoes and her little, like, I'm about to kick your butt devil attitude on her face. She graduated from high school because of your generosity. And this is just two examples of a bunch of kids whose futures have been forever changed because of your generosity. People you never meet, but your generosity has gone further than you could ever go because generosity is missional. It does some amazing things. I just got a note note not too long ago from um, a lady who is, uh, man, she's ministering in an area of the world I don't even know if I should name or mention because of some of what she's doing. Um, But she sent a note just to say, hey, thank you so much. Uh, I wanted to let you know that I shared one of the video messages from Mission Point um, with a guy that I've gotten to work with. And he just came back and told me, It was just what he needed to hear. So I read that, and I was so stirred, thinking on the other side of the world, there's somebody who's being encouraged by stuff that we are saying in Warsaw, Indiana. And then she took it a step further and said, oh, he's an Iranian refugee who just gave his life to Christ and has risked everything to follow Jesus. Now I'm just doing a happy dance, and now I'm giddy because I understand it is your generosity that enables us to podcast and enables us to send videos to the other side of the world, and a refugee guy is now hearing about Jesus and being encouraged at great risk to himself. Because generosity is missional. And so the question, why would somebody give hilariously? Well, I just want, you tell me. You realize that there are people who are going to heaven and you will meet them there. And when they get there, you start to talk. And they're, oh, well, how did you hear about Jesus? Oh, we were in a very rural place in Zambia. And some evangelist ninjas came on their bicycles and they shared Jesus with us. And now we're in heaven. And you're like, I think we're a part of that. I think we may have played a part in you actually being here. We are hilarious in our generosity because we picture kids going to school who never would have been able to go to school. We picture people who never would have heard the gospel hearing the gospel for the first time. We picture Iranian refugees who are being encouraged in the gospel because of your generosity. Generosity is missional. And I'm just telling you, if you believe that you get to play a part in those kinds of stories, wouldn't you be a little bit giddy and hilarious when you gave. So Paul says, yeah, we give hilariously 
Because we understand that generosity is missional. It carries the name of Jesus to places we could never go. It helps to multiply the places where his name is heard and God's name is praised. And I'm just saying, if you've never been a part of hilarious generosity, you want to get in on it. And of course we're going to say we would encourage you to make room because I guarantee you, you will not get to the end of the season or end of your life and look back and regret, men. we sowed and we gave, you know, towards the mission of Jesus Christ. But there's more reason Paul gives us uh, to give hilariously. Uh, I love somebody's even laughing right now. That's awesome. Um, it's foundational. Um, but we give hilariously because it's, it's missional, but generosity is also reciprocal. And uh, I know that's a big word, but you would not believe how many hours I will spend thinking about, like, what is the best word to describe what Paul is saying? And reciprocal is a big word, but it just means it's, it's a two-way thing. Um, it, it goes two ways. Um, when you choose to be generous, <laughs> I'm telling you, some of you, I'm just thinking, and another reason I'm giddy is because I realize some of you may be hearing about generosity for the very first time, and it's going to mess with you. I'm sorry. And I'm telling you, if you read it and believe it and understand it correctly, it's going to make you a little bit mad. I'm hilarious, yeah, but I'm also furious. How come you guys don't share this stuff more? But the principles that emerge here, the reciprocity and generosity is... is when you choose to be generous, it always provokes God to be generous back. It's not the primary reason why we're generous, but it is a good reason why we're hilarious when we're generous. Just saying. <laughs> Generosity is like the most glorious game of tag. You start to be generous, and God is almost a little bit semi-vindictive. He's like, oh, oh, I see how it is. It's on now, and he's coming after you to tag you back with generosity. It's reciprocal. I had a, I had a friend uh, from inner city Chicago in college who always used to say stuff like this to us. He would say, if you don't start none, there won't be none. I'm like, what does that mean? What's that mean? He's saying... He's, if you provoke me, it's off. And there's something in this passage that tells us that's kind of what God says. If you don't start none, there won't be none. But if you tag me with generosity, if you start in generosity, I'm sorry, but I've got to come back after you. Generosity is reciprocal. That's why Paul opens this section um, in verse 6 by saying this. Look again at verse 6. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly because it's reciprocal. But whoever sows generously will also reap generously. He understands generosity is reciprocal. Our generosity provokes God's Generosity. The more you give out, the more God just insists on pouring in. Because I don't know if you knew this, but God refuses to be outgiven by anybody. When it comes to generosity, God refuses to lose a game of tag to you. He refuses to be it. Conversely, the less you give the less you get to experience God's hilarious and semi-vindictive generosity. This money won't give you things. He's gracious. But to be caught in the glorious game of reciprocal generosity, that, Paul says, that's proportional. The more you give, the more you experience that. The less you're generous, the less you experience that. But I don't know if it struck anybody else that um, Paul uses the word sowing or to sow when he speaks of generosity. Man, I love that. He speaks of generosity as sowing. 
Now, I will use the word giving when I'm speaking about generosity, but it's not my favorite words to use. Because when I give something, it's typically gone. But sowing, whoo, that's a different word. I have a friend, Todd, who's probably sitting somewhere in, in this room. And, and Todd is a farmer in his spare time. And uh, every spring, when Todd is done, you know, putting all the seeds in the ground, um, he will have this same ridiculous experience where um, he'll curl up into a ball and he'll start to cry these massive, miserable crocodile tears. And he'll say over and over again, I lost it. It's gone. You know, all my seeds are gone in the ground. I lost. I'm kidding. He doesn't ever do that. He actually does the complete opposite of that. He's just looking for an excuse to talk about the seeds that he's planted and, and you know, he's looking forward to what's going to happen. Why? Because he understands the principle of sowing. Sowing just means I put something away where I can't see it for a short time while it grows and multiplies. The next time we meet each other, it's not going to be anything I can hold in my hand anymore. He understands that what I could once hold in my hand, once I've sown it into the ground, goes further in the ground than it could ever go in my hand, could ever go in my home. So he's always trying to convince us, you got to come, man, I'm planting, you got to come and plant with me. I'm like, why do I want to? It's awesome, because there's an understanding what sowing is accomplishing. And I love that Paul uses that word when he speaks about generosity. That when you are generous, you are sowing. You are sowing into the hands of God. And when you put it in God's hands, it goes away where you can't see it for a season while it grows and while it multiplies. But the next time you all meet, it'll be much greater, much bigger, much badder than anything you could possibly imagine. And that's why Paul says the person who sows sparingly, what's going to reap sparingly? The person who sows generously is going to reap generously. And the principle of sowing says, when I'm generous, God is going to make sure that I'm always supplied to be generous. In fact, if you read the rest of that section, which we read a little bit earlier, it says he is going to make sure that your storehouse is always full. In fact, the language that's used is that there are always going to be leftovers in your storehouse so that you can continue to sow into generosity. Generosity is reciprocal. When I give or sow, God says, uh-oh, watch what's going to happen. Now I'm going to give back more than you gave so that you can continue to be generous. When you choose to start, God will refuse to stop in generosity. And some of us have never experienced this because we give sparingly or we give occasionally or we give out of guilt or we give you know just grudgingly but i'm just asking you if you really 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 believe what this says that whoever sows sparingly reaps sparingly whoever sows generously reaps generously if you really 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 believe that God refuses to be outgiven by anybody and is going to make sure we always have leftovers and that our storehouses are full. If you really believe that, don't you suspect you might start to give hilariously? People are like, why are you laughing when you give? <laughs> well, okay, it's this thing, it's a kingdom thing you wouldn't understand. But see, <laughs> I, just, I just gave generously and so now God's it. So anyway, I just, I don't know how he's going to come and where he's going to get me. So if you see abundance chasing me around, hey, give me a heads up because it's always a surprise. I never know where it's going to come from. I just know it's going to show up. So we're doing, of course, you're going to start to give hilariously. Unless you don't believe this is true. Man, if we believed this, it would completely revolutionize the way we gave the way we interacted with generosity. Let me say uh, one more thing, almost a side note, but it's significant. That shows up in this passage about um, generosity. Okay, a couple more things about generosity. Um, generosity, according to this passage, is revealing. It's 
it's revealing. Uh, you don't need to know too much about me. Um, you just need to get a hold of my checkbook and figure out how I spend my money on what I spend my money, and that will tell you everything you need to know about me. What I do with generosity, with my stuff, will always reveal who I really am and what I really, really believe. This is how Paul said it. Look at verse 13 again. He says, because of the service, this generosity, this hilarious generosity, by which you have proved yourselves. What? Others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Paul refers to generosity as proof. He's saying generosity has a way of proving that the gospel I preach has truly gotten a hold of me. It's proof. It will reveal what I really believe. And by the way, this makes sense. Because the gospel that we claim to believe, the gospel that has revolutionized our lives, is a gospel that at its very core is founded in generosity. It is about a rich God who became poor so that poor and broken people like us might become rich. That's the very heart of the gospel. It's about a Savior who, who, who left heaven to come to earth, gave up his riches, and spent his blood in order to relieve the need that our sin had left and to provide us with the forgiveness we so desperately needed. The very heart of the gospel is generosity. And Paul would suggest, you cannot say that you have believed and bought into a gospel rooted in generosity and refuse to be generous in turn. No, your generosity is going to reveal what you really believe about the gospel you preach. Do you really believe it? And that's why it, it refers to, to it as a proof that reveals, and it also refers to generosity as this powerful thing that accompanies the message of the gospel. Because I'm telling you about a generous God. It is counterproductive for me to refuse to be generous. G generosity will reveal what I really believe about the gospel. By the way, it is amazing how oftentimes people will say, I think people talk about giving in the church way too much. By the way, if you've been a part of Mission Point for a long time, you can make that claim. But it's no surprise to me to hear that. Because Jesus said on one occasion that where your treasure is, in fact, we can have the verse up on the screen, there your heart will be also. So you can imagine why it seems to be one of the most sensitive things. You start to talk about treasure and giving and money, you are tampering with people's hearts because where one is, the other is as well. By the way, Jesus spoke about money and giving and generosity more than he spoke about any other subject by far in the Bible. And I think the reason is because he understood that where one is, the other is. Where generosity goes, so does the heart. If you want to know who people really, really are, follow the money. Where are they being generous? Because that's going to reveal something about their heart. It is ultimately a heart issue. I don't just like to spend money on clothes. It's a heart issue. I somehow believe that, that my appearance is where a lot of my worth comes from. I just don't like to save and save and save and save. I believe that the money I've saved will one day save me. Jesus is saying, no, 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 where your heart is, your treasure will be. And where your treasure is, your heart will be. Also, these two are critically connected and linked. And so the question is, based on your generosity, where's your heart? 
based on your checkbook, based on where you give, where is your heart? Jesus says this is a crucial issue in revealing our hearts. We can talk about a bunch of theology stuff, but the question is, where am I giving? That's going to reveal where my heart is. And it's amazing how little I've believed this over the years. It's amazing how little I've believed that my heart and my generosity are linked together. And one of the ways I know I don't often believe this is by the way I worry about my kids. When I worry about my kids... When I stay up at night gnawing on my fingernails, worrying about my kids, I worry that my kids are going to, you know, man, make mistakes or they, they're going to have moments of great consequence and they're going to make really, really bad decisions. And when I think about that, I usually think about things like drugs. Um, I think about things like sex, um, you know, which is amazing how we often as parents, that's the worst decision you could ever make. But anyway, I think about drugs, I think about sex, I think about like, porn, uh, I think about alcohol, you know, I think about like country music, just a bunch of different, th- just a bunch of different things like that. But um, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Kind of. But um, I was telling my wife just the other day, I was saying, you know what's interesting? I've never stayed up at night worrying that my kids will not be generous. And Jesus would say to me, Kondo, it's actually not so much whether or not your kids end up looking at porn on their phones, it's whether or not they are choosing to be generous with each other. That's actually a greater revelation of where their hearts really are. And yet I don't pay attention to that. I've not heightened that as a matter of a revealing of my kids' hearts. I've not emphasized that as something that is so critical to speak to where their hearts really, really are. I believe the Lord would say, Carlos, it's not so much that the numbers continue to increase at Mission Point Community Church. It's not so much that a bunch of people go to marriage conferences. The question is, is Mission Point a movement of people who are being generous? Because their generosity into my work is going to reveal where their hearts really, really, really are. So, I am so thankful for the generosity of Mission Point because it reminds me where the heart of Mission Point is. And I'm just saying to you, if you've never jumped in on what it means and it looks like to be generous, I'd invite you to do that. If nothing else, when the busyness and the craziness of this fall comes about and Thanksgiving and Black Friday and Christmas emerges and all of these things come rushing in our direction, now is the time for us to decide we want our hearts to be aligned with who God is and what our God is about in generosity and generosity. All right, last thing. Um, And this is a question of how. How do we even get started in this direction? Or how do we continue to be generous if we are already generous? Um, And I just want to say the thing that emerges from this passage is this idea that generosity is calculated. Generosity is calculated. It's not just deciding that I will give. It's deciding what I will give and to what I will give. Because for so many years, to tell you the truth, for so many years, I was always willing to be generous If an opportunity arose, I was willing to be generous, and I never ended up actually being generous because I had this passive view of generosity in which I'm like, well, you know, if some opportunity shows up, then I'll maybe give towards that thing. But yet, the Bible here seems to suggest, no, it's a calculated, very deliberate effort that I need to make. Look again at verse 7. It says, each of you should give what? And by what he's talking about, that that calculated amount that you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, not out of guilt, for God loves a hilarious giver. Generosity is very calculated. And here's what I'm telling you. If you've never sat down to calculate what you want to give and to what you're going to give, I'm pretty sure you're not living generously. Generosity is not impulsive. Generosity is not if somebody asks or if a need arises, then maybe we'll give. No, generosity is calculated and very intentional. You decide in your heart 
what you are going to give. Let me give you a quick sense for um, my wife and I, the way we've uh, attempted to live this out. We do what we think is a, a biblical, you know, template is, is what we, we tend to follow. And this is what we do. Um, we will give, uh, we'll sit down every year. We did this just a number of weeks ago. Before everything comes at us, and we'll make decisions, calculated decisions, uh, we know we're going to spend on a bunch of different things, but first, we want to make sure we're being generous. And so we'll ask questions, all right, what are the things we know we must give to? And for us, number one is always, always the church. Um, there's an Old Testament principle that talks about the first fruits in, his, in which God invited his people. Hey, listen, you should bring the first 10% of your income to my house, which in the New Testament would refer to his church. Bring that 10%, first 10% of your stuff to the church. Um, so that that can help the needy and so that that can go to further the places where the name of God is praised. Uh, we follow that. Now, in the New Testament, the tithe is never commanded. 10% is never commanded. That was under the law in the Old Testament. But let me tell you how we reason in our minds. We reason if the law in the Old Testament said 10% is what the minimum is, then what should we do under grace in the New Testament? And for us, we refuse to give less than 10%. So 10% is where we start. And then we'll make decisions um, and we'll say, okay, what percentage north of 10% do we want to give to the church? And that will be the first check we write. Listen to me. No bills, no groceries, no cable, anything. Nothing else takes priority over that. That check is always written. Things may change and things may get dicey and money may feel tight, whatever the case might be, but that is a non-negotiable. That's going to be written and handed to the church. Um, and then uh, we will choose a, an amount out of our monthly income to give towards mission. And that just means we will sit down and talk about, okay, this year, what people or organizations do we want to support because we believe that they are carrying the gospel further than we can go and they are helping the broken in places we can't help them. We believe that they're advancing the eternal agenda of our God and we'll pick a number of people and we'll pick an amount that we'll calculate and then we'll support those people. And that's just part of what we do um, every month. And then we'll give an amount to our family because we have family, extended family, who are less privileged than we are. And so we're going to take an amount and say, how can we help um, the family who are in need? And then we will send to those different family members. Because the Bible says if you don't take care of your own flesh and blood, then you have denied the faith and you're worse than an unbeliever. We don't want that to be true about us. Um, but we also love most of our family. So um, we will then um, put something aside for benevolence. And benevolence for us is just an emergency fund. We always have an amount so that if an emergency arises and a need is there, we are poised and ready to meet that need, even if we weren't expecting it. Now, when that runs out, we say, no, I'm sorry, we don't have, we can't. But until that time comes, we have kind of this um, a side pocket that we keep on hand. And then we're obviously, we're in the process of adoption and we believe in adoption. So we're going to figure out how can we help our people bring kids into their um, forever families. And so that's the template. Those are the but firsts for us. If we have to cancel phone, cancel cable, not do sneakers, not do that, then we won't. But those things have to happen because we want to prioritize generosity. And then after that, I'll buy some shoes. Don't get me wrong. We'll eat some Chick-fil-A and we won't even feel bad about it. And one of the reasons I don't feel bad about it is because we've calculated. So we know the amount that's going towards generosity. So I don't live feeling badly if I say, no, we can't because yes, we can or whatever the case might be. Generosity has to be calculated. I don't know how you do it, but here's what I'm suggesting. If you've not calculated how you're going to do it before the busyness and the craziness and the demands come in, you're going to get to the end of the season and say, oh, we forgot to give, or we weren't ready to give, and we won't engage proactively in generosity. And here's one of the things some of you might be asking. Wait a minute. Um, 
How do you guys even have anything left? Uh, let me say this. Just take a couple of minutes, but I'll say it, and then you guys will forgive me, I'm sure. In the last seven years of being at Mission Point, I've never taken a pay raise. In fact, our annual income, if anything else, has dipped in the last seven years. Not because Mission Point is cheating me. Mission Point is great. But I've never taken an increase. In the last seven years, I've never made a house payment. I've never made a car payment. I've never paid anything for school. And we continue to try and live like this. How, Kondo? How? I don't know. I think because we keep saying, God, you're it. And God says, well, I'm coming for you. We can't even explain how we're able to continue to figure out how to be generous. We know we're just taking these small steps and God continues to blow our mind. He continues to say, oh, yeah, watch this. We can't explain it. Like, where, how did that happen? Where did that come from? Explain that. I don't know. And yet the Lord continues to provide. I don't know what your pattern or, or your habit is, but I know that if you don't sit down and calculate, you're not going to enter into this exciting game of tag and be able to be hilariously generous and see the mission of God advance. And to see the name of Jesus heard and to see God praised in a variety of places. So we want to invite you, if you've never taken that step, to, to start. And I would encourage you, give here at Mission Point. I'm just saying, if where your treasure is, your heart is also. I'm just saying, if your heart is being impacted here, give here. If your kids are being affected here, give here. If you feel there's some impact here, then we would encourage you, put some of your treasure here where your heart is. If you believe that we have any concern about the hurting and the broken and the unloved and unwanted around the world and you believe we want to invite everyone everywhere to life in Christ, give here. This is good soil for you to sow your generous resources. And there are a number of different ways you can do that. I mean, this is a, a quick graphic. You can give, you know, um, when the offering plate comes through. That's how uh, my wife and I do that. And by my wife and I, I mean my wife. <laughs> She's the one who, you know, old school checks, you know. Um, uh, you can give by mailing it in to our P.O. box. You can give online, which is what families like the Duels do. And many of you um, do that. And that allows you to almost set up a recurring gift where you can say, this is how much we want to give, and we want to set it up to recur so we don't even have to worry about it. We know it's happening regularly. I don't know what your pattern is. I don't know what your calculated conversation is, but we just want to say gift to a bunch of other things and spend a lot of other, you know, places. But first, be generous towards the work and the agenda of Jesus and his church. And then watch out. You get to be a part of something beautiful, something Special. So, Lord, thank you so much for being generous with us in Jesus. Thank you for the indescribable gift that is Jesus. He is enough reason for us to be generous, and yet you give us more reasons to be generous because you are, by nature, generous. May our lives be richer, not so that we can be rich, but so that we can be generous. And may we extend the places where your name is known for Jesus' sake. It's in his name we pray. Amen.